I am so excited once again, as I always am, to have an amazing guest on Fraudish. And today we have Kathy Enstrom. Kathy, we're going to start with a quick little speed round. And uh, the speed round is when you hear the word fraud, what do you think of? I think of greed. And what's interesting is I have heard your podcast before, so I kind of was prepared to that question, but I asked a fellow uh, attorney that I currently work with at the Moore Tax Law Group, and her first response to the word fraud was intent. Like, were they intending to commit fraud? And that is the difference between the former prosecution mindset versus where I'm working now in the defense side. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so interesting. Okay, we're going to get into that because, um, yeah, I just, so much fun. Okay, when I say the word ethics, what do you think of? I think it's like the top characteristic of a person and it's the who you are when no one is watching. So good. Okay. We're like sisters from different mothers or dads or whatever that saying is. Okay. And then the last question is who makes a better embezzler, men or women? You know, statistically it's men um, based upon my experience with IRS investigation and FDIC office of inspector general. But I would say the women are a little more crafty in how they uh, do it. So maybe they're not caught as much. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. Um, Now, so Kathy, why don't you give your sort of Eiffel Tower career trajectory? And I'm going to tell you that we missed each other at Fletzy by about 18 months, two years. Wow. Well, darn it. I'm sorry I missed you. Yeah. Um, So my career started, um, I would say, basically back when I was in college. I went to Mount Mercy in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a very small college. And the accounting professor had an advertisement outside his door and said, "Um, are you interested in working for the IRS? And I wasn't sure and I didn't really know. Um, I thought I was going to, you know, I was an accounting major. I knew I was going to check the box on that and then check the box on CPA because I knew it would open up a lot of doors for me. And IRS, I wasn't so sure about. But then um, a girlfriend of mine told me about it a little bit more. And she said, well, it's with IRS criminal investigation. And I'm like, well, what do they do? Because nobody knows that there's criminal investigation within IRS. Nobody knows there's armed law enforcement officers there. And so she told me about them. And I thought that was the coolest job I've ever heard of. And that was absolutely something that I would want to do. And so I was lucky enough, my senior year in college, I was interning uh, with them. There's a program that used to be called Co-op, and now it's called Pathways. And they still have Pathways program. They're actually going to open it up again in the coming months, um, where you go to school and you work for them at the same time. And if both sides mutually agree that this is a good choice, um, IRS wants that person, and you think, yeah, that's my career choice then you onboard as soon as you graduate and then go through FLETSI, as you said, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center down in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, I went through FLETSI in in 96, um, and it was six months for IRS FLETSI because you first have to go through a a criminal investigator training program, and then you go through the IRS-specific training program. So three months here, three months there, and then you uh, graduate and you get issued your badge and your weapon and off to the races with working in in criminal investigations. Now, of course, they don't just say here, you know, have at it. They train you while you're on the job. And so I came back to Chicago, Illinois. That's where I was assigned as my first post. 
And um, I worked there for nine years on various tax, money laundering, bank secrecy act type of violations um, in those nine years, all in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and then I got a taste of management. Um, I did an acting assignment here in Chicago. That's where I'm at now currently. Um, so I, I found what it was like to be a manager of a group of special agents and thought I might be good at it. So uh, threw my hat in the ring, and I got a job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is not very far away from Chicago, so I didn't really have to move. I lived pretty far north of Chicago, so very far south of Milwaukee. I'm right in the middle. And so for five years, I managed to group up in Milwaukee, um, and it was fantastic. I absolutely adored it. I learned so much um, while being there. I think for the first two years, I was just kind of spinning my wheels. And I got a great mentor at year two, which really changed my career path, which maybe we could talk about later on mentoring and things. But it's uh, an amazing uh, switch there. Um, so kind of I'm going to try to shorten up the rest of my career a little bit here. So after five years of being a, a frontline supervisor, I went to be an attache in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, wow. IRSCI has, yeah, has. Uh, posts all throughout the world, and they send um, special agents there to help the agents back in the United States work their cases in a, in foreign countries. Um, I was assigned to Ottawa, um, and I really enjoyed learning on how not only another country does it, but all of the treaties and um, all of the things that you have to go through in order to get the cooperation of another government to help you back in the United States. And so I did that for a few years, uh, then got accepted into this accelerated leadership program. And so that's when it really went nuts where I went six months in Washington, DC, right when the ID theft um, push came out in 2013 or 20, 2012, 2011, right when everybody was stealing everybody's IDs and then filing tax returns, it was crazy. Um, so I was assigned to help that unit then I got out to Los Angeles, where I was the assistant special agent in charge for about a year. Love West Coast. Um, would love to live there all the time, but that cost of living is a killer. Um, <laughs> and then um, I got assigned to the special agent in charge job in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I oversaw all of the agents in Ohio. Loved that. Uh, did four years there. And then I went into... Um, the candidate development program within IRS, which basically is a pathway to being, to being an executive. And um, I did a quick four-month assignment in New York um, as the special agent in charge there. And then I got assigned to be the director of operations policy and support, which basically is running operations for all of IRS CI across the country and managed a lot of operational uh, programs within uh, as well as policy. Um, and then I really missed home, which was Chicago. And so I came back home to Chicago as a special agent in charge there. Uh, there's an executive back in that position. And so I, I did that for a few years. And fortunately, some, some things happened where I needed to get promoted back up one more level to the um, director of field operations, which means I oversaw one third of the country. Um, the field offices over one third of the country, which was the northern area, loved that job, too. Um, and then a lot of things happened uh, in there that just I, I was 26 years on there and I, I was eligible to retire. And I was kind of like wondering what else was out there. Um, 
I decided to skip over to FDIC Office of Inspector General just for some change change of scenery and something different. Uh, it wasn't an executive level anymore. Um, went back down to, it was titled special agent in charge, but I oversaw a region of fantastic uh, financial investigators, not tax, obviously, because that's what that, they don't do, but bank. Um, and so that was a lot of great experiences and good learning on a different path of white collar crime that I wouldn't have had if I didn't go there. And then six months ago, um, I decided to take another leap and officially retire from federal government service and started as the director of investigations for the Moore Tax Law Group here in Chicago. And we have an office in New York. And I work with um, the attorneys here to help clients facing any governmental investigations, including matters with the IRS. Um, and it could be tax crimes, money laundering crimes, any other related financial crimes, our, our firm will help out. And I will be the person uh, that has, I wouldn't say insider knowledge, but I know how the government operates. I know how IRS operates and I can help guide uh, not only the client, but the attorneys on what the next step could be. So I love that you are gone to the defense side. I've been on prosecution and defense side. And I really enjoyed the defense side, um, lots of different reasons. But um, I think you get a look at more stuff. You, you have a wider lens where the prosecution is a very narrow lens. And um, and then, like you said at the beginning, when you asked about the word fraud, they said intent. And that's so incredibly important for lots of reasons. But um you know, I have some people who are like, oh, defense work. And I'm like, no, you know, it, it's like it's just adds a diverse part to your background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I get the cringes. You know, you know, went to the dark side. And what's interesting no. is that when the government says that, you know, you went to the defense. But on the defense side, they have told me that if I went back to the government, I would be going back to the dark side. So it's all perspective on uh, you know which side you're sitting on. But I agree, this has been really eye-opening. Um, and I am on the defense not to think that I can win every case that is coming up. Uh, our clients are all not, not guilty, or they're all not guilty. I don't think that's true. Um, but what I can do is help guide them through, and everybody deserves a good defense, because that's what our whole foundation is based on. And what I can provide is let them know, hey, the IRS is pretty darn good at what they what they do. Uh, I think their statistics this last year, 88% of the cases they pushed forward to prosecution and recommended it were successfully um, yeah. were successful for them. And so that 12% isn't a lot where we're going to win on the defense side, but we could possibly minimize the the results either by the number of years possibly that you're sentenced to or the number of dollars that you would have to pay. So that's kind of my role on this side of the, of the desk. I did a case, um, a mortgage fraud case, you know, when all of that blew up. And um, it was interesting because first off the lawyer and um, Kathy has already said she knows my feelings towards lawyers. Um, uh it, the lawyer kind of thought you get a mortgage from your local bank and then you pay your local bank for the rest of the 
you know, term. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. First off, lawyers don't do money and especially don't do investment money. Um, But so once I educate her that they sell the loan and then I had to educate a federal judge, this is what they do. They sell the loan. And so they were going after, you know, the sentencing. The prosecution was like, you know, he caused a loss of, I believe it was over $3 million. We were able to get the loss down by like five or $600,000 because the bank actually profited because they sold it instantly. And Mm -hmm. like the lawyer didn't understand and the judge didn't understand. And as a jury can understand, because we grew up thinking that the little corner bank, so it was mitigation and it took time off of his sentence. Was he guilty? Yes. But if we hadn't have done that work, he would have spent more time in prison. And, you know, hey, I'm not here to like, you know, say anything about banks or anything like that. But when they said that they were victims in that, a lot of banks weren't victims. So pension funds were victims and other people were victims. So, okay, I got to ask you this. I'm throwing things way off the bat. Did you see the movie The Big Short? I have not. I know it's terrible. I know. (laughs) Oh, you have to see it. It's so, it's one of my most favorite books, even though Michael Lewis right now is a little bit on the fence with me with the SBF and Bitcoin. Okay. So you must watch it. Like truly must watch it. Um, Then the other thing is, are you following the SBF FTX trial? Yes, I am. In the news, not necessarily, you know, much too deep, but just whatever is reported in the news. And what have you thought? Fascinating. Yes, it's fascinating. It's it's interesting because uh, um, I know I don't know when this podcast will come out, but he's just recently testified, and now he's being cross examined. And it's an interesting uh, tactic for a person who is being brought to trial to actually testify for themselves. Sometimes it works wonders, and sometimes it can backfire backfire quite badly. Um, and the whole. I think a lot of his um, the case uh, is he is uh, saying that he wasn't aware or that other people were doing it. And, you know, I don't think the government I'm pretty sure the government will have other things to bring forward to show that, yeah, you were aware and you're spending millions of dollars. How could you not be aware? But it is I mean, when you're dealing with probably billion dollars, it might be hard for somebody like him to misplace a million, kind of like with us, a normal person, it's hard to misplace a dollar or it's not hard to misplace a dollar. So I'm, I don't know, it's going to be an interesting outcome, but I found it really fascinating. And it's again, so rare for the person to testify on their behalf. Um, I mean, my firm had uh, something recent and uh, our client testified and it worked out great. So you never know. Yeah, I have heard. So have you read the book Number Go Up by Zeke Fox? No, but I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Okay, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, So I hope to have Zeke on the podcast, but like he's really, really, um, uh, he actually, I believe it was the prosecution, it had to have been the prosecution, took the book up to um, SBF and said this book. And I haven't read Michael Lewis's book yet. I have it. Um, but I wanted to read Zeke Fox's and it is a page turner. It is an mm-hmm. absolute page turner. But then I'm going to say a um, second degree connection 
who lived in the crypto world, but cashed out before FTX imploded, he said he thinks that SBF may be having pharmaceutical withdrawals, the way he's been paying attention to the trial and the testimony and stuff like that. And then, of course, I made a little bit of a joke about like, well, what do you expect when you grow up with two parents as, you know, lawyers at Stanford Law School? I mean, and apparently, I mean, I've read a lot and paid attention to a lot. He was almost like this. um, I'm not going to say idiot savant, but I think his parents kind of like he was, you know, on the spectrum and was kind of like, I want to say a party favor. His brilliance was kind of a party favor at like, you know, events. So I, I don't know. I, you know. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, if that's the case, if that's the case, then that's really sad. But obviously he knew what he was, I I shouldn't say obviously he knew what he was doing, but he was successful enough to make this company be what it was. I mean, that, that couldn't take somebody that didn't know what they were doing um, to a billion dollar company where there were ads on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, so it's just, it's, it's going to be incredible to see what the outcome will be. Um, and that it's not going to be over at that point because I know that there's other, a lot of civil aspects to this because money was lost. Well, and, and that's then always the, like rid of the problem money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting because he made an investment in Anthropic, the AI company. Oh. And apparently it's done quite well. So just tracking the, like, I mean, I can't imagine the calculations and the valuations and, I mean, it's just a tangled mess, a totally tangled mess. So, okay. Now you did not say this, but I have to give a shout out. Um, You were the first woman to lead the Chicago IRS CID. So congratulations. That's a huge honor. Thank you. I also was the first in Cincinnati field office, so I got two firsts. Um, yeah, that was quite an honor. Uh, that When I became the special agent in charge for Chicago, that was IRSCI's 100th anniversary year. And so it took 100 years to get there. Um, but there's a lot of amazing women that have reached that height within IRSCI prior to me and now are currently there. And so um, I was just glad to be one of those many. Uh, but I will say that one of my very first, um, we call them on-the-job instructors. As soon as you get out of Plessy, you get assigned an OJI on-the-job instructor to help guide you. And so my first on-the-job instructor, um, her name was Sue and she was one of the first females in Chicago as an agent because you didn't even get a female couldn't even be a federal law enforcement officer until the early 70s. And so it was a long time for that. And she was one of the first agents. So I learned from the very beginning um, how to how to be an effective agent, period, let alone uh, survive as a female within the law enforcement community. Well, and when I was with customs in Seattle, like we loved working with IRS. Like it it just was like, you know, it was, it was the agency to work with. And actually one of the guys, um, I won't say his name, but it's a funny name. Um, He is, I think he's a Google, he's one of the, one of the fame companies and has done incredibly well, but like he was great to work with there. And, you know, people just think of IRS as like the little people, but didn't, I think, Microsoft just got caught with or is paying a very multi-million dollar penalty. 
Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of companies that have gotten caught up with IRS, not CI. I mean, there's some people with CI, but a lot of people that have got caught up in IRS issues, civil issues, because um, I think normally anybody can say this. They don't like paying taxes. Nobody does. I mean, but it's a cost of a society that we live in and that we we prosper from. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes people cut a couple of corners and they, they keep cutting them and keep cutting them and they go from the line from tax avoidance to tax evasion. And then that is the bad part right there. Don't go over to that line that's over to the tax evasion line. You'll yeah, get in trouble. Was, yeah. And let us not forget Al Capone. How did he get caught? Yeah, a tax a, a special agent actually did, and it, it's a fascinating story. I I will say I love the Untouchables the movie. I do love it. Um, other than the fact that it's not factually accurate, uh, and, but the one part that was very accurate is there's an accountant person within his uh, troop in the Untouchables, and that is the guy that did it. That that person found that there was some unreported income by not only Al Capone, but his brother, Ralph Capone and other people. And that is how ultimately uh, he was put into Alcatraz, which is amazing. You, you know, you commit a tax crime and you get sent to Alcatraz. How many times do you get to hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to. Um, so the tax avoidance to tax evasion, like I grew up and my dad was oh, someone is going to camp for six months. And um, I don't, the, well, okay, you had a story and I'm going to put it in the show notes about a lawyer who, Patrick Thompson, who, you know, went to prison for four months, um, goes back to avoidance, evasion, intent. What? Do you have one case where you lost sleepover? Lost sleepover is in, I was, um, it didn't work out the way I would like it to. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Mm. Either for the government or for the person potentially. Yeah. That's a tough one. I'm trying to think of, um, something in my, in my memory that I've, I mean, I, I, throughout my career, I'd lost sleep because, you know, you're thinking about the case, you're thinking about how you can move the case forward um, and then you're, when you become a manager, you're worried about all of your people. And so I've lost sleep in many ways, um, that way, but as far as, um, something losing sleep regarding a specific case, you know, the, usually it's the ones that never make the press. And of course I can't tell you what yeah. those were because of, uh, taxpayer secrecy rules and so, and grand jury secrecy rules. So I, I can't really tell you exactly what, but I know that there's been like instances where uh, somebody I know committed a fraudulent crime, uh, some sort of white collar crime. They ended up getting thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but in the end we couldn't prove it. And I think that's the part when I was with the government that would probably make me lose some sleep. It's because, especially if there were victims involved, maybe identity theft victims or something to that nature, I uh, I would feel like I let the government, the, not the government, the taxpayer down because my job was to help the taxpayers, the, the U.S. public. That's a, It's a very um, 
rewarding job that I did for that many years of federal law enforcement is, is you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the country. And I, I felt, would have felt that, that I let them down if um, I missed something. And that's probably what would keep me up at night. Um, so like when I was an agent, we had sort of, um, I don't want to say minimums, but guidelines, like, you know, the loss needs to be over a certain amount, but also found that when I get my Google alerts on embezzlement, besides Nathan Mueller, no one steals to pay taxes. And it's much easier to get an embezzler prosecuted with the lack of payment of taxes. Was that your experience too? Yeah, I mean, embezzlement and Ponzi schemes and things like that, um, those those are pretty, um, I would say, easy in order, like you, you the person we know um, supposedly has like a W-2 income or, or something standard income, and then all of a sudden the, the income shoots up either by um, a lot of luxury items that they purchased all of a sudden. Um, so there, there's methods of proving those that IRS uses. It's, it's either there's a bank deposit method of proof, a net worth method of proof, or an expenditures method of proof. And, and like, let's say if you, you buy a whole bunch of things all at once, that the expenditures method of proof would be really helpful to show how much money they really had during that year. Because you start with a dollar amount, you end with a dollar amount, and then how much they spent is the big difference. And then you compare it to the tax return and, whoa, how come it says you spent a million dollars when you only reported $40,000, you know, big difference there. So it's um, embezzlement and Ponzi's are sort of similar in that vein. Um, I will say IRSCI are so talented that those cases, you know, like you said, are a little simpler. And I, I do not want to disparage another federal law enforcement office, but the financial investigations ability of those agents probably are not wasted on those type of cases, but a little bit. They need to focus on, and they do, on the complex tax cases as well as any complex money laundering type of, uh, of things. And so um, I know that we've, we, I shouldn't say we, IRSCI has done those embezzlement and Ponzi scheme cases and done a great job there. Um, I just know that they, they've kind of shied away from them in the past couple of years just because they should be focused with their, their limited resources toward other high-profile things. I okay. sound a little bit like I still work there some days, but not today. I am firmly in the defense right now. <laughs> so Rita Crunwell, did you follow that case? Yes, I did. Yes, from Dixon, Illinois. Um, yeah. It's an amazing case. I When I first heard about it, I was a little mad because I was working with IRSCI, and I believe I might have been in Chicago at the time, but I was mad that IRS wasn't invited to work on that case because we would have been helpful. But obviously, they got their gal without them. And so, yeah, it's fascinating that she was able to embezzle from the Dixon, Illinois um coffers for years almost and, years yeah and what's interesting i go back to that luxury items is that she had the indications of somebody who is taking money from elsewhere because of the, uh, the i guess the horse um things that she did that, in the horse industry as well as i i, I think i've read that you know it, 
during the day, she dressed down, she dressed like a government employee. And at night, she had the diamonds and the, you know, everything was fancy. Um, and so anybody who knew her probably should have like recognized a warning sign and maybe thought to ask somebody, how is she getting that extra money? Yeah, that's one of my favorite hashtags is horses are a pink flag. And um, all the Queen's Horses movie is excellent. Um, so did you watch Ozark? I have watched parts of Ozark. Um, my husband, every single episode, he loved it. And uh, I have watched part and I have also heard how amazingly accurate that is as far as money laundering goes. And so I just haven't seen the whole I don't know how many seasons, seven seasons or something like that. Five, but like the fifth one might be two parts. So skip, I think the second one. And I don't think you will be team Wendy. I think you will be team Bruce. Um, And I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert, but there is an attorney in there and um, she's based on a real person. And the spoiler, um, it it just, you'll have to listen to a podcast that I did with uh, David Weber, my most recent one with David Weber, because he's got, he's got all the sort of scoop on that, but I loved Ozark. So, you know, I talk about pop culture. Is there any books or podcasts or movies or TV shows that kind of like are good for perspectives for you either in your past life or going forward in the, let's just say on the more private sector defense side? Oh boy. Um, I would say there's a mo- uh, there's a book called Get Capone. We talked about Al Capone a while ago. And okay. it's by Jonathan, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his right, last name right, E-I-G, uh, E-I-G Jonathan E. Uh, Get Capone. And that is an extraordinarily accurate uh, summary. And I felt very gripping uh, book about how Al Capone got taken down. And so if you are interested in that kind of gangster Chicago land area, that is definitely my one of my top books there. I was going to mention all the Queen's Horses um, for, for movie type things. And then I, I actually was thinking the other day, there's an old 80s movie with John Cusack called Say Anything. Um, it's one where he puts the radio up on and he, they, they have the sound blasting and he's playing it up, you know, on the lawn of his girlfriend. But you may not know that the secondary plot line of that say anything is about her father who gets investigated by IRSCI uh, agents and thrown in jail for stealing money from the nursing home he works or he owns and operates. And so it's interesting that it's that actually is fairly accurate, which is unlike a lot of movies out there that don't really portray IRS accurately, like The Accountants with Ben Affleck, which I enjoy the movie because I think it's, you know, entertaining. If they would just replace FinCEN with IRS CI, I think I would have felt better. But FinCEN doesn't have law enforcement people that are allowed to do what those people did in that movie. And so, but Say Anything actually was fairly accurate. I was kind of impressed. Oh, okay. I, I think I watched it like before my career. So um, it's an but, old one. It's an oldie. And yeah, the, me, I'm a Gen Xer. And that was one of my, uh, you know, touchstone movies as I was growing up. Oh, that's so cool. So um, I also had, you know, a few things written down before we started. What do you what do you say about whistleblowers? Actually, on either side of 
the desk or the, the table, defense or prosecution, whistleblowers are valuable and important. Um, they're important for the prosecution so that they are aware of something that might be going on that they didn't know about. And for the defense side, it's important for individuals to come forward if they feel like something is off and then have somebody to represent them, to protect them when they go and blow a whistle on something. Um, and so I find them extremely valuable. I know IRS has done a great job in their whistleblower program and have paid out millions, if not probably billion dollars of money they recover, you get a portion of it. And if, if the information is valid and it actually results in something good, of course, but it is so important to have those individuals that aren't afraid to say something when they see it. And um, because otherwise, you know, the government can only do so much. And so you need somebody like that on the inside to help you, you know, move the ball forward and at least tamp down crime if there is something there. But like I said, on the defense side, it's super important for you to, if you are considering being a whistleblower, to be represented because you could miss out on some opportunities or step in the wrong path and maybe get tangled up in something that you shouldn't. Um, and so it's it's so important that that program in any capacity. And I know DOJ is really um, receptive to whistleblowers, not just IRS, but Department of Justice is. In fact, they just recently pushed out something in regards to corporations, like, hey, if somebody in your corporation is doing something wrong, we will listen to you. Let us know. And here is the path to do it. And so it's, um, I know that the government really is, is uh, receptive to those people that are, are whistleblowers. Well, I just saw Dan McCrum at Money 2020 who wrote, you know, uh, Money Man. And of course, the story came via whistleblower and he, he put it so beautifully. But he's like, there is not a feeling in the world is when you get a whistleblower. And um, he'll be on the podcast too. He said he was just delightful. But, you know, the, my biggest cases have come from whistleblowers. Yeah. And my, my very first second case, I'll say second case, was um, a walk-in, we called them. Um, way back then, it, the office was allowed, you allowed people to come in, and I was stationed as a brand new agent in this tiny little cubicle where I would have to answer the phone for the Chicago field office and then take anybody that walked in the door. And of course, you get some crazy people coming in that maybe, you know, and and actually on one instance, somebody that maybe wasn't quite um, all there was talking about an issue that didn't concern taxes. It concerned on, you know, securities fraud or something that that effect. And I said, have, I mean, IRS isn't the place for you. Have you been to the FBI, which was across the street at the time? And he, he said to me, well, I just came from there. They sent me over here, which is interesting because federal law enforcement agencies, we love to make, you know, send each other's fun gifts like that, um, just to poke at each other. But our second big case was actually a really good tax case. Um, an individual within a firm, a small uh, firm that uh, would take on bad debt and try to collect it, so a collection agency, um, she came in and whistleblowed uh, against one of the main individuals in that firm saying that she thinks he 
siphoned off some of the checks that people wrote in to pay off their debt and then um, canceled that on their account and, you know, put it in a different account. And she was right. And I ended up getting a criminal conviction out of that. So, yeah, whistleblowers are so important. I love I love what um, Dan had said that, you know, they're they're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So what you were describing is we would call it the duty agent. So, you know, like once a, it probably once every six weeks, you get duty agent and, you know, um, sometimes it would be really quiet and sometimes it would be really quiet. So um, this is another thing that I think that a lot of people might think that like IRS is dealing with um, IRS CI is dealing with sort of, you know, the white collar, the business executives, business owners, but you're also dealing with, I'm going to say the narcos like in Ozark. And I don't think people understand that. I mean, IRS, the worst video I ever saw at Fletzy was an accountant who took either a pen or a pencil or even maybe a letter opener to you know, an undercover agent. And um, so we don't think of it maybe being so dangerous, no. but like all the dirty money, it's dangerous. Yeah, it is. It is dangerous. And and IRSCI agents do get involved in money laundering investigations. And um, just kind of like Cuba Gooding Jr. says, show me the money. I mean, that's exactly what IRS does is they follow the money. And so in a drug investigation, the contribution that they can make is by literally figuring out where the money flow is going, because usually the money is ending up on the person who is leading the illegal operation, the head of the organization. And so it's sometimes an easier way to do it than to have maybe the head of the organization actually do a drug deal. You're not going to see that as often. You're going to see them maybe spending the money, but you're not going to see them passing off drugs or guns or whatever it is. Um, and so IRS does have agents across the country not only working those cases, but like you said, there are undercover agents that go in and pose as money launderers and, um, you know, work with those people trying to get them to admit certain things. And, and that's all used for the criminal court uh, case later on. Um, and it is a dangerous job. That is why there is federal law enforcement arm of IRS, um, because unfortunately, there's some people out there that don't want to go to jail no matter what. And I, I get it because it's scary to have to do that, um, take away your liberty and things like that. But that's why IRS has the armed individuals. I mean, even individuals who have their properties seized by collection, the civil arm, sometimes get dangerous. And um, in certain circumstances, the before it was IRS CI agents would go and help them out to make sure nothing bad would happen. And then their inspection division, uh, their Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration now does that. And so it is um, it's it's not something to sneeze at. I will say it's not as dangerous, we'll say, as a street cop. Absolutely not, because that that by all means that and, you know, probably being in the prisons and border patrol and things like that. Those those men and women there definitely have um, more risk. But it is something that you have to be cognizant of at 
And so for 25 years, I had uh, a nine millimeter or, or something equivalent strapped to my hip every day to work. And um, thankfully, I never had to do anything with that. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, I just, well, and you started the program off talking about the co-op program and one of my best buds named Bud um, from Chicago did the U.S. Customs co-op program. And, you know, that's how he got into U.S. Customs. And um, I mean, did you grow up thinking that it doesn't sound like you didn't, I didn't even know like customs agents, did they work at the airport? I never worked at the airport. So didn't know that that wasn't a goal of yours to grow up to be, uh, uh, law enforcement. No, 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 no. Um, and it's funny because I we're recording on Halloween, and that's it's interesting because I was thinking back to my old Halloween costumes growing up, and one of them where I was kind of like a G man, you would call it, you know, with the fedora hat and the trench coat, and I had a little cap gun, and my mom took a picture of me as I was going out trick or treating, and and. I don't think I was thinking of being a federal law enforcement at that time. I just thought it was a cool thing. Um, and I went into college knowing that I was going to get an accounting degree right away. And that the only reason why I thought that is I knew I wanted to be somewhere in the business world. And I know that's huge. And that accounting can open up a lot of doors for me. Like a management major, not as many doors Back when I was going through school, it didn't seem like it was opening as many doors. Marketing, I wasn't really good at sales pitching, so I, I probably, that wasn't my path. But accounting, I can get behind because it's numbers and structure, and I'm, I'm pretty good about that. Um, little did I know that this could open up a door to law, federal law enforcement. And boy, it, it has been nothing but rewarding. I, I am so grateful uh, for my career and so lucky to have been doing what I've been doing and something that I absolutely love. Um, it is different. It is unique. Um, people constantly throughout my entire career, like you work for the FBI, right? I'm like close, but not quite. And, <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, at least they get the general gist that um, I don't know. Some of my fun girlfriends are like, I know that you actually are Sydney Bristow Brist from Alias. Yeah, oh, yeah. And of course I'm not, but it's just funny that they, you know, have this vision in their head of what a federal law enforcement officer is. And, and it's not any of that fun stuff you see on TV. I sometimes wish it was, but it's not, it's, um, knows the grindstone, but some amazing people that I got to work with throughout my career. I was um, unpacking part of my garage the other day and I have some of my dad's stuff and I sent him cards when I was at Fletzy because we didn't have email back then and he wouldn't have had it anyway. And um, I sent him a St. Patrick's Day card and it was, dad, oh my gosh, you can't believe what I did today. I was in a ditch shooting a machine gun. And like, I, I just like bring, bringing back those sort of memories and everything like that because we, I never grew up thinking that this would happen at all, but it was amazing. Okay. I just, now this is, might be totally incorrect, but um, so there's all sorts of acronyms like DEA, don't expect anything and FBI forever bothering Italians or, you know, I don't think there's ever been one for IRS. Is there? I don't think there is. If there was, no one was brave enough to tell me what it was. <laughs> I I might have smacked them or something. I might have, uh, but no, I I can't recall of one. Yeah, no. Oh, there's plenty for DEA and FBI, and I won't even 
do the ones that <laughs> let's, not, let's leave that silent for the audience to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, Kathy, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And um, you know what? You are just absolutely an inspiration for women to get into this most amazing career, like change my life and change so many lives. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me, asking me. Um, and I love your podcast and I will keep listening as we move forward. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome.